Welcome to Balance Black Girl. Thank you for joining me today. If we haven't met yet, I'm Les, and I like facilitating conversations that are real, uplifting, and encouraging. And right now, we're talking all about business, baby. Whether you run a business, are interested in business, or are nosy like me and like seeing what happens behind the scenes with Black-owned businesses, this series is for you. So last week, I kicked off our Black Women in Business series talking about side hustling. I shared my experiences with it and some of my tips for staying balanced while you build your biz on the side. For our first interview for the series, I wanted to keep the side hustle conversation going to talk to another Black woman in business who is building her biz while holding down a nine to five job, which is why I invited my girl Alexis Barber to join me on the pod today. Alexis is a content creator who shares the realities of managing everything from her tech career to social life to launching her first product line while living by coastal splitting her time between New York and LA. She's the host of the Too Smart for This podcast, which I love listening to and I've had the pleasure of being a guest on. And through her content and products, she reminds you how important it is to put yourself first. In this episode, Alexis and I talk about the realities of being a Black woman content creator, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. We also talk about the transition from content creator to business owner, because getting started as a content creator can be a savvy way to build the foundation of a business. We talk about practicing self-care and setting boundaries in the digital realm and so much more. This episode is jam-packed, so let's get into it. So Alexis, welcome to Balance Black Girl. I'm so excited to have you here because I've wanted to have you on the show for so long. So I'm glad it's time. I'm so glad too. You know, your show is one of my favorites and running into each other at these holisticism events too is incredible. So I love your show and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there's so many things that I'm excited to talk to you about. First off, I would love to hear how LA is treating you. You are a newly bi-coastal baddie, kind of dividing your time between New York and LA. You're in kind of an LA season right now. Like, how is that going? It's going well. Um, What I keep saying to people is that in New York, I had a lot of work. I have multiple different like jobs that I'm doing and it was really impossible to relax there. And so here I have the same amount of work, if not more, but I feel like I can actually recharge because the city isn't just like attacking me 24 seven. There's parts of LA that are like annoying and weird, but they're not as all encompassing and consuming as New York. And so that's what I love about it so far. And having all this space, girl, it's crazy. I mean, you went from having like your studio to a full living space where you have separate rooms and room to breathe. (laughs) It's crazy. I have too much room. I'm like, I don't know what to do with this corner. Like there's too much in here. And it's like my living room in this apartment is the size of my studio. And it's just crazy to be furnishing and everything. But I still feel like it's not mine. Like I still feel like I don't. Like it was too expensive or I shouldn't have done it, even though like I can realistically afford it. It's like, I still have that like imposter syndrome in my own house. So we're getting through that. Yeah. And I mean, it takes time in those transitions to to get settled in. And I think to your point, what you were saying about New York, and I love New York mm-hmm. and I've never lived there, but I've spent time there. I do think that it is 
just a place of sensory overload where you can have the same amount of things on your plate, but just you, your senses are on 100 all the time. And I, what I appreciate about LA is you can have different sensory experiences. You can take space, you can get some quiet, you can connect with nature, you can get some calm to mix it up when you need to. Precisely. Like that's exactly what it is because it would be like, oh, in, I'm in New York, which I love New York. I'm going back for the next month very soon. Let For me, I work from like seven to seven, probably either doing content or doing work. But by 7 p.m., it's like it's screaming outside, like there's sirens everywhere. If you want to relax, you feel like you can't breathe because everyone's on top of each other. Whereas here it's 7 p.m. and I like can go on a beautiful walk and smile at seven of my neighbors and run into like three dogs and just enjoy the sunshine. Like I feel like the sun here isn't real. Like it's made me really appreciate not just nature because, you know, I'm not going to be sitting here and be like, yeah, I'm a hiking girl. No, I'm not. I'm not going outside. <laughs> but it's made me appreciate the beauty that is in the world. Whereas New York, I think you can get cynical after a while. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even just being disconnected from things like trees, which sounds so simple and so basic. And and I think when we think of nature, we think we have to go like wild in the wilderness. But literally just having access to like shade from trees changes your whole mm-hmm. mood, your whole vibe changes. Just having like grass that you can like put your feet on <laughs> changes. Exactly. And the beach, I mean, I love it. I I love that I can do both. And people always ask me like, which one do you like better? It's like, I like both equally. And I kind of just want to live a life where I can be in both for the rest of my life because I need that balance. And I'm a Sag, I have a lot of Sagittarius in my chart, manifesting generator. So I need to have things switch up in order to like be my best. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing that you've been able to create that for yourself, especially being so young. Like that's dope. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we'll talk about that. Oh yeah, definitely. So the central question that I initially wanted to explore in our conversation today was around content creation, experience being a content creator as a Black woman. And the first question that popped in my mind was like, are Black content creators okay? (laughs) Very complex question with nuanced answers. (laughs) Exactly. I think what's really cool about content creation is that it's sort of in some ways, levels the playing field for building wealth Mm -hmm. and building an audience. And I think that's very obvious and clear. Like, I don't think I would have been able to make as much money in my early career if I hadn't started being a content creator. However, I do think that the mental side of it is really hard because for me personally, like getting just first the sheer amount of work, just the sheer amount of, you know, mental capacity it takes to balance a full-time job and share your life consistently. It's fun, but it's still, you know, draining because it's a lot of time. But then when you run into any sort of criticism or negativity, I think it feels like more of a failure because you're supposed to be the successful one. You're supposed to be the strong one. And if you let people bother you or if you have a reaction to any sort of criticism or hate or negativity or even just a frustration that you're not growing fast enough, the most frustrating response I get to that is, well, why do you let the haters bother you? Because you're supposed to be strong and you're not supposed to let people bother you. And like, I feel like it's really hard as a Black creator to balance like having the weight of 
all Black people who want this on your shoulders while also running into all these people's opinions about you that your brain is not, you know, built to hear. So I think generally it's a lot harder for Black content creators out there by all means, but I do think it's one of the only ways to really grow. It's one of not the only, but one of the easiest ways to also grow wealth right now. And the creator economy is only expanding. So I think like there's a lot of work to be done to support the mental health of black content creators by all means. Oh yeah, definitely. And and I'd love to talk about that a little bit more because I think sometimes people forget the humanity of those that we see online. We've all grown up maybe watching TV, consuming music, consuming what we think are characters, but with content that we see online, I definitely think a lot of content creators can have a bit of persona work, but they truly are still people. Whether or not they show their whole lives, they're showing aspects of their life. So it's really hard to like rise above the haters all the time, right? If you just are inundated with comments of people just being wild, right? If your name is getting dragged mm-hmm. through the mud on Reddit, like you're a human, you're going to react. Nobody creating content doesn't give you this magical armor where all of a sudden things like that don't bother you. Yeah. But I think people think, and I guess when I was, probably it's karma for me because when I was little, the Disney stars like Miley Cyrus and Demi Lovato and them, they would talk about cyberbullying and how bad it was for them. And I was like, well, it's just a computer. Like it's no one's saying anything to your face. Like it's not that hard. You'll be okay, I guess, because you have all this fame and you have all this money. But I think now that I'm on the receiving end of it and my career as a content creator started with so much of that, there is like trauma there because I feel like every time I check my DMs or something, I'm like expecting a negative message, Mm -hmm. which is really unhealthy because I'm never getting them. Like that that only happens like maybe 5% of the time. But I just have a lot of fear around it because when you grow up black, you grow up in a survival mindset 24 seven. Like I need to, it could be walking home from school. It could be getting into a good college is the way you respond to your situation. Like you're constantly in survival mode. And so to have that like on the internet, it's just a whole nother level of like survival mode. So I'm just always expecting that something bad is going to happen, which is not healthy. And it's not something I like, but it is my truth. And I, want to be honest about it. But even saying it, I'm like, people are just going to be like, you're so out of touch. Like you have all this money, so you shouldn't care. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's just how I feel. Yeah. And that those, those feelings are, are definitely valid. Have there been any things that have helped you in terms of how you navigate that? Maybe if there are people who are aspiring content creators who are listening and they're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, how do I navigate this? Have there, have there been any things that have helped you? Yes, totally. So I think in the beginning, I cared way too much and I was really, really scared, which is normal. Like when you first start getting like criticism, even if like they're like your outfits are especially on TikTok, you're definitely going People to... People say whatever on TikTok. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're definitely going to feel it more in the beginning. But what was cool, like I just remember this one time I made a Zara haul video and I talked about how the mediums, like the sizing at Zara is all over the place. It's crazy. And it ended up in like Europe, I later found out. But I, it's called a size six Zara haul. And they were like, I can't believe you dumb bitch 
fat ass thought that you were a size six. You're obviously not a fucking size six. Like it got a million views and there were like 2000 comments just telling me I was stupid and fat. And this was like maybe four months into creating on TikTok. And I was just like, I just remember that feeling like was so, so devastating. But what made it worse was everyone around me telling me that like, I shouldn't let those people bother me because then I felt more guilt for caring, you know, that was like my first, like, and the biggest, like, hardest one for me. And then over time, I started talking to other content creators about it. And something that really helped me was if a negative comment cannot hurt you unless you believe Mm. it. And in that moment, I thought that I was fat. Like I did think I was like, oh my God, maybe I am stupid. Like maybe I have gained weight. Like, I don't know. And that's why it was frustrating to me. And now if someone calls me a nasty out of touch bitch, which is what they're saying on Reddit. Oh, your boyfriend's going to leave you because you moved to LA, which is my favorite one because it's so funny. You really thought you knew my man. Like you really don't, babes. But um, those types of things, they don't hurt me because they're not true. And you can't do anything about that. You know, like it doesn't bother me because I know where I came from. I think I just sometimes need to do a better job of talking about where I came from because people, when they see you have a really cool life now, they don't realize that you worked for it. And so their own jealousy and their own frustration often jumps out in that projection, that like attack. And when you know that, because I'll be honest, like I definitely have been mean to people in my past as in high school or in college or whatever. Like I'm not a perfect person, but I know that every time that I was acting or doing something negative, it was because I was hurting Mm -hmm. or I needed attention. And so the only reason, the only world in which I would create a Reddit account to go talk shit about somebody is if I was really deeply hurting and felt really frustrated. So that those two things, like it can't hurt you if it's not true. And two, they're projecting most of their own frustrations and insecurities. Those are the two big things that have helped me get through it. And it's very possible to get through. And like, I'm saying this as if it's like the hardest, the most thing. It's not the majority of my life, you know, it's like 5% of it. Oh, that is such good advice. I loved the, you know, it can't hurt you if you don't think it's true. Because I think that also encourages us to like reflect a little bit on, okay, what do I believe to be true about myself? Invites us to just look at, okay, this is what I'm offended by. Let me investigate that a little bit deeper. And I often find that when people are online trolling, they're absolutely projecting and they don't ever expect the person that they're trolling to actually see it. And nine times out of 10, when they get called out for it, they're like, oh my bad, (laughs) didn't think you'd see this. They're just truly projecting just to spew things. And and that gives interesting perspective. Oh yeah, I had a girl, you saw this because you're on my close friends, but this girl who messaged me calling me like out of touch, I did a response on my story being like, this is not true. And then she got really mad because I like left her name in it. And she was like, you're such a horrible person. Like you're leaving my name in this. And like, I had like, the response was very normal and she did, it was very chill, whatever. But she just like went on a rampage for like three days. A week later, I'm so sorry for the way I acted. Like I shouldn't have done that. And it's like, yeah, we know right. because you had to face consequences for your actions. Right. And when you're a creator, you've got to do that on a higher scale. And if I fuck up, what gives me peace now is like, I know that I have enough self-awareness to apologize when I do something wrong. And if I do something wrong, 
that's okay. I'll apologize and I'll mend my mistake and move on. And I think most humans, you know, deserve that chance too. Definitely. Yeah. And it's also like, you don't get to be nasty to somebody and then have them protect your identity. Like if you're going to say mean stuff, say it with your chest, let people know that you're mean. I think that's what I'm saying. Like say it with your chest. Please, like, I would love to talk about it, sweetie. Put it in the comments. So why why have it be in the DM? Let everybody mm-hmm. see it. I mean, if that's how you Let really feel. Know. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what has been some of your biggest learnings as your platform has grown? What have you learned about yourself? What have you learned about the world around you, other people, the creator space, anything that comes to mind? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's crazy because um, I also work full time in the creator space. So I work at YouTube. I'm the global shorts content strategist. So one of our biggest priority products at the moment is shorts, which is our short form video ecosystem. And I work to help creators, big and small, get started and thrive on shorts. And so internally, I'm working with creators who have tens of millions of subscribers that I've never heard of. And I'm like, oh my God what is this? And then in my own life, I'm like creating my own content creation, like community, et cetera. The main things I've learned are one, this is the future of a lot of our media consumption and people who say that it's too saturated or people who say that like the creator economy is dying. The numbers do not support that in any way, shape or form. It's simply going through a democratization phase that hasn't we haven't had before it was like we went from celebrities where there were the only people we ever talked about ever and it was always them and they had millions and millions of fans and followers to there being these content creators and we were like oh my god this is crazy and then there's niche content creators and now we sort of have this middle ground where it's like there are people who are going to make a living a very good living from content creation for five to 10 years and never hit a million followers. That is okay. Not everything has to be this. You don't have to become Logan Paul or Emma Chamberlain. And we will see a lot less of that happening generally as this ecosystem continues, especially because Gen Z is very focused on niche interests. So the people who you follow because you, for some reason, love hydrangeas that are in Newport, Rhode Island, and like that's your favorite content creator ever. That's your life. Fabulous. But your boyfriend might be really interested in this one guy who is obsessed with lighting in his garage. Those things show not only that no matter what your interests are, you can create a platform, a monetizable platform and a living off of that, but also that there's room for everyone because people watch content a lot more than they watch TV Mm -hmm. and there's not always as much ads on TV. And so this is an expanding industry at the moment. It's not one that's contracting at all. Because it's where eyeballs are. As long as eyeballs are there, there's going to be influencers and there's going to be ads. Oh, absolutely. Actually, I think it was yesterday I was on TikTok and I saw this really interesting video talking about the future of platforms like TikTok and short form video and how, you know, obviously we know Instagram in reels is like trying so badly to be TikTok and that basically TikTok is more so likely to compete in the future with a Netflix, with the streaming platforms mm. for for how much time and attention people give it. And I thought that that was such a really interesting perspective that shows just how much in the past decade, the way we approach content and consume content has changed so drastically. Well, yeah. I mean, we had this phase at YouTube where our biggest value prop was 
CTV or connected TV, which is when people are watching YouTube on their televisions. And that's what we were selling advertisers were like, this is basically TV, therefore like you should buy. Mm -hmm. And they did. And people do watch YouTube as TV. People also watch TikTok as TV. Mm -hmm. But Gen Z doesn't really care about whether it's what, what format it's on. It's where our brains are. Like this is where we're consuming information. And we spend a lot more time on that and we spend time on it even when we're watching TV. At the moment, like that's sort of where everything is heading, in my opinion. I still think that there's room for everyone and I think it's it's definitely not saturated. You can do it. It just takes a lot of consistency and a lot of direction. I think the other thing I've learned like about myself probably is that like it's important to have a why and to be focused, but your why doesn't have to be that you want to help people necessarily. It could just be because you want to fulfill something creative within you or to grow something. Because I always felt this guilt because I, I have trouble feeling like when someone DMs me and they're like, Alexis, you like this is so helpful. I'm like, I'm so glad that it is, but I don't always put out content just to help people. I do it because I love it and because I want to. And I guess like that was a big realization for me is that like I can just like fulfill my own little childhood dreams and have fun on the internet. And it's really cool that other people get to watch it. But the main goal for me is just continuing to like evolve as a human being. And that is what content creation has allowed me to do. Oh, absolutely. And I also think that we as the creators don't necessarily get to determine what is helpful to our communities and to people who mm. consume our content, they decide whether or not it's helpful. So I think the biggest thing creators need to do is like share if they want to share and share what they want to share and the audience will perceive it how they perceive it. If it's yeah. meant to help people, it will, but we don't really get to determine that. And we shouldn't try mm -hmm. to, I guess. I think um, audiences can tell when you're trying too hard to show up as like an expert in something and like for me, it's like I'm, I work full time as well. So a lot of people ask me like about work and stuff like that and helping them or whatever. And there's this like group of people who are working at Google and they make their whole content about like how to get a job at Google. But in reality, like I would never do that because it's very difficult. It's very dependent on your experience. I'm not going to promise everyone a job at a company that accepts 1% of applicants. And so when you start pushing as if you're like the most helpful person in the world and you're saying that like your goal is to help people get a job at Google, I just think that like you can't determine whether or not that's helpful as you said because you can't determine everyone's backgrounds and create opportunity for them out of thin air. Audiences can always tell and then they start to get frustrated that you kind of lied to them in a way. Absolutely. And I think that's something that we're starting to see more of in the creator space is audiences are smart and they're they're getting pretty savvy about who's credible, who's not. I mean, scammers are always going to scam, but I think it's getting increasingly harder to scam people and to scam audiences because they're oh, yeah. getting very smart. <laughs> They're very smart. So you can't, you can't skip. That's why I'm with my, the launch of my product line. I'm just like being honest. This is what I'm trying to do this from scratch by myself. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. And if I mess up, we're going to mess up together and you're going to learn from it just as much as I did because I could pretend so much when you're launching a product and just do it the same way as millennial or older or seasoned influencers have done in the past where they just have a credible launch that like seems like it was coming out of Sephora or something like that. But 
that's not what my generation is interested in at the moment. They want to know how it happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, and we're definitely going to get more into creating a product because I'm I'm just super excited for you and interested in how you do that. But I, I also love what you had shared just now, especially when you were talking about your work at YouTube about finding ways to find opportunities for creators and the fact that the space isn't saturated. And I'd love to talk about what that means specifically for Black content creators, for aspiring Black content creators. There's been a lot of conversation around the like, if everyone's an influencer, no one's an influencer kind of conversation that mm-hmm. Emma Chamberlain had. I mean, I have lots of thoughts about that. Me too. Um, would love to hear more of your thoughts about that and ways why that's not true specifically for Black content creators. Well, for sure. I mean, the Emma Chamberlain discussion, which I'm, I haven't listened to the whole thing because I just couldn't do that to myself, but I feel like there are not mega influencers anymore. No, you can't just be a quirky girl vlogging and be the, become the face of Louis Vuitton as easily as you could in the past. Like, no, you can't. So much went into Emma's career and there aren't going to be 75 Emmas. But this concept of like, no one's an influencer and everyone's an influencer. I think that this is a confusion as to like, what makes a superstar and what makes a creator and what makes an influencer. Because if it's follower count, then yeah, there's a lot more people with over 10 million followers on the internet right now, 100%. Are those people still relevant is another question. Because on YouTube, it used to be you get to like a million subscribers or something, you can stay relevant for years, you can make a transition into mainstream TV. And that's because your audience, since they've spent hours a day with you in your life, understand you love your personality are connected to you a lot more deeply than they are to your 60 second dance on TikTok where you didn't even say three words. And so we had Charlie, we had Addison, these huge creators who had all of these numbers, but are they going to stay famous forever? Not in the same way. So that is the conversation of everyone's an influencer. Oh, no one's an influencer. Yes, you can grow a lot more quickly and have a lot more followers behind you, but the question is actually about longevity. And I think that a lot of influencers and a lot of people who want to be influencers optimize for followers. But if your followers are not engaged and they're they're not going to stay for years, they're worthless, objectively worthless. Like it does not matter if they are not going to convert for you and if they're not going to show up for you when you have to go to another platform. So The way that this applies to Black creators specifically is that we now have more of an opportunity to grow those followings and have the legitimacy of those numbers. But again, we're sort of at a loss because how do you monetize that long term? How do you create that longevity? A lot of Black TikTok creators, I think, get scammed into these like predatory TikTok agencies Mm -hmm. who are like, give us 30%, um, which is absolutely out of control. Never give someone 30% as your 20% is the maximum. 15% is the industry standard. They just don't know a lot about this industry. So it's harder for them to grow this into what it can be, which is a place where you can grow a business long-term. And so that's where the conversation needs to go now because Black people are funny. (laughs) Black people are stylish. Black people can dance. Black people make these platforms go round, but they don't get as much 
credit for it. And when they do, it's harder for them to keep it forever. 100%. I absolutely, absolutely agree. And I think a a big part of the, like, everyone's an influencer, no one's an influencer conversation that really frustrates me is a lot of these very privileged, largely white creators have dominated the space, extracted all they want from it. And now that they see more of us coming in and taking pieces of it, now they're claiming it's over and it doesn't matter anymore. I feel that even with the brand Mm -hmm. piece, I just know in the next six months, we're going to have this TikTok conversation of, is the influencer brand dead? And it's going to be because, well, Jackie Ina launched a line. Like there's going to be all of these black creators who do that. And they're like, oh, I don't like an influencer product. And it's like, it's because once they sort of have everything they wanted out of it, we, it's not, it's no longer prestigious, you know? And that's what's so frustrating. It is. It is. I think- superpower that that we could have and i think a way uh that black content creators and and poc content creators specifically can really benefit is i think we're going to do incredibly well in this increasing shift towards community oh yeah people of color we are more communal. Like we (laughs) tend to move through life in community. We tend to be more intergenerational with our families. We tend to look out for one another more. And as audiences are also sick of being extracted from, right? They don't want to just be extracted from and to just use people's codes and links and and make people rich. They want to be a part of something. And I think that we as Black people do a good job of being a part of something together. And I think that that could be a really interesting opportunity for us as entrepreneurs and content creators. 100% because you cannot start a brand today without starting a community one like million percent. Like I see plenty of black creators who are doing something and have a million followers because they're just fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. And the community of people around them is so strong. What I want to see more of is people who I don't want to say capitalize because whatever, like I'm capitalism critical 100%, but you cannot be alive and not participate in capitalism at the moment. Like I would like to see more black people take back the wealth that was extracted from our hilarity, our fashion, our everything, and do that through the communities that we build and then support the people who are creating those things. Because when it's just so funny. I mean, the D'Amelio's, the the Addison Ray, all those dances are created by black people. And now they are multimillionaires. And we didn't get a revenue split mm-hmm. in that, you know, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I would like to see us use our communities to uplift more of each other. But we have to do that with a lot of support. And that's probably the biggest thing I've learned in the last year, two years as a creator and in the last year as like a founder is I cannot do it alone. And a lot of Black women, although we're in community, we still feel like we have to do it alone. And when it comes to capitalizing and building these businesses, I think that's what we need to do is support each other and just give as much information as possible because there's no play. Like We all need to win together. We're creating culture. Absolutely. And I think the more of us that can get together and organize and strategize together while we leverage that innate creativity that we have. Black people are so creative. It blows my mind sometimes like how creative we are as a community that when we organize a little bit and strategize, it's going to be amazing. Absolutely. I mean, you said it best. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) 
So as we kind of wrap up our content creation kind of portion of the conversation, because I absolutely need to talk more about your next business venture. You know, are there any emerging trends or things that you foresee kind of happening, being really big, being really important in the creator space that you think we should get ahead of? Totally. The first is it's not just because I work there, but because I work there and see the back end and the numbers. YouTube shorts, I don't care if you're just re-uploading your TikToks, definitely take the watermark <laughs> off. But it doesn't matter. We have 1.5 billion monthly logged in users. That's not a market to ignore. Start posting your content on YouTube Shorts. It's the easiest way to grow a YouTube channel to start. The second place I think that you can capitalize on is by connecting with your audience directly. And um, a lot of people don't do this, but I don't know if you all remember November 2020 when we thought TikTok was going to be banned, Mm -hmm. but that was a crazy time. And um, there's still chances that could happen simply because of the (laughs) spyware. (laughs) You know, Um, I would say that connecting with your audience directly, building an email list, building an SMS list, even if you're not using it, you want to be doing that. And a great tool to do that is actually Norby, mm-hmm. which is a Black-owned yes. and founded company. Really? Um, but actually founded by my friend who also went to Northwestern. Um, and it's funny. I didn't know that he had founded it because my brand designer was like, "You should. we should use Norby for your, pro- your product launch. And I was like, cool. And then I was at a party at my boyfriend's house and he was, his name is Steven. And he was there. And Jeff was like, you, you literally use this product. I'm like, well, here's all my feedback. Here's all my thoughts. But we went to school together, um, went to Northwestern. And so um, it's a great, great product. You literally, it's basically like a customizable LinkedIn bio tool where you can also collect emails and SMS. They give you a number and you can basically text your audience. You can email them right from that link. So they don't have to go to another website and sign up. You can do it right in that link. And that's what I've been using to collect emails for pre-orders for my robes. So that is something that I would encourage all creators to get started with is build out that professional backend ecosystem where you have your own website, where you have an email list and you have an SMS list because the people who have that and the people who don't, it's going to come down to that long term, you know, like you've got to be as professional as possible with it. So shorts and Norby sign up immediately. Oh, those are amazing tips. I, and I love that Norby's black owned. I actually recently signed up for Norby and, and have started mm-hmm. using it. And I didn't, I didn't even know it was black owned. That makes me even more excited to use it. Yeah. He founded it with a partner. I don't know if the partner is also black, but He's black, so I don't care. Good enough. Good enough. And I also just have to echo the importance, like you said, of starting an email list, starting an SMS list, having a portion of the internet or of your content that you own, not relying solely on social media platforms cannot stress it enough. Like creating a website does not have to be expensive. You can create an inexpensive Squarespace, WordPress, whatever, starting an email list, not expensive. The software I use is like $19 a month. Like having a way to connect directly with your audience, having something that you own is invaluable because these platforms are not where you should put all of your time and resources into. Never that 100%. And also, I think another tip that I will give Black creators is not all money is good mm-hmm. money. I worked with Betches and I love Betches. I love their content. I loved working with, I loved the founders and I loved my podcast co host. But at the same time, 
I took that opportunity because I felt like I couldn't get as big of a community on my own. And I wanted to be attached to that name. And it ended up feeling like very, it was hard for me because what I learned from that experience is like, I didn't need that. And I felt like I did because I felt like I wasn't legit enough because I didn't have the numbers. But something Simone Alyssa recently told me, and she learned this from another woman, Chelsea. She's great. She's incredible. Is that a hundred thousand followers for a black person is equivalent to five hundred thousand followers for a white person? You cannot compare yourself to white people, and that's what I was doing when I took this Betches contract, and I was like, I'm gonna work with them, and it ended up being okay, and like. I had a great experience and still have a wonderful relationship with everyone there, but I did feel like I was doing it from a place of insecurity as opposed to a place of wanting to evolve as a person and support my community. And so a lot of creators do that, whether it's through the agency that they choose, even though they don't have any history of working with Black creators. A lot of people do that in a myriad of ways taking deals that just think they seem legitimate because there's like white people behind it, but don't compare yourself all the time to white people because they don't have the same community building skills. They don't have the same experiences and you don't need that to be on your own in your own right an incredible creator. Oh, absolutely. And to that point, I think even if you do have an audience that is a little bit smaller, but it's the right people, that is so much more valuable than millions of people who are not your people. I think the last few weeks of like launching my product has taught me that the most because I was, I just always felt like I wasn't good enough because I didn't have a million on TikTok. And like the truth is it does not matter because I have ambitious, incredible women who follow me and I'd rather have those people feel empowered and like they can do whatever they want with their life than to have a million people who just want to know where a black t-shirt was from. And I don't even care about the outfit I'm wearing. You know, like I think it's so important to just know that and always remind yourself that when you're stressed out too. Definitely. Oh, this is so good. I like have been in the content creation game for a very long time. (laughs) And I wish that conversations like this even existed back when I started. They definitely didn't. But Mm -hmm. seriously, if anyone is interested in content in any way, like take notes during this conversation. Precisely. 100%. And I have two YouTube videos about it, about like how to get brand deals and get paid and stuff on my YouTube channel. If you want more, I don't consider myself like an influencer expert by any means, but I'm just transparent. And so um, check those out as well if you want to get started with content. Perfect. I'll make sure that those are linked in the show notes. So they're super easy for people to find. So recently, you've shifted your content a little bit where you started taking us behind the scenes as you get ready to launch your first product, which we've mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation, but I'm so excited to get into because launching a physical product is no easy feat. Mm -hmm. There's so much that goes into it. So first, can you tell us more about what you're launching and how that experience has been? Of course. So I'm launching for my first product, a super cozy robe. It's called the Too Cozy Robe, my brand, um, which sort of grew out of my podcast, Too Smart for This. It's called Too Collective. And so this is the Too Cozy Robe. The idea for it came when I had COVID on Christmas in December and I was shopping to make myself feel better and try to get through my first and only like holiday alone. 
And I wanted something that was going to make me feel cozy and luxurious because I was supposed to be in Paris with my boyfriend um, on a romantic fun trip. And um, obviously, like robes just sort of signify that luxury. And I'm also a naked sleeper. I don't love pajamas. So I was looking for really nice robes. And um, none were like standing out to me. None were interesting. I ended up buying a few of them. And like, they all had the same frustrating lack of functionality that I was like, why was this $200? Like, you have to be kidding me. Like, it's supposed to change my life. <laughs> and so I just started thinking about how I did some research. I was like, there's nobody doing this. And it doesn't make sense because robes are genderless, which I soon found out because my boyfriend stole them and <laughs> wanted one for Valentine's Day. They're ageless. I've got my grandma a robe. I've gotten my cousin a robe who was like only 18. Like everyone loves a robe. And they're seasonless. You wear a robe all year, no matter what. Like maybe it's not the same one, but every day you need it when you wake up and when you go to bed. So I was just shocked and I kept it in the back of my head. And for a few months I was working on other projects, but every time I would mention it to someone, their eyes would light up and they were so, so excited. So I finally took the plunge in trying to figure out how to do it. And that's where I'm taking my audience through how I figured that out. And I do plan on expanding to other product categories, but this one is most important to me because it signifies taking care of yourself and it signifies allowing yourself to relax at the end of the day and create a ritual, which I love your shows and your series on rituals and resetting that just really, it sort of signifies to your mind that like you deserve a moment for yourself. And that's something I, I had only learned in the last two years of even being a creator. And so it means a lot to me and I'm really excited that other people get to experience it too. Oh, absolutely. I don't know if you know this. I'm a big robe girl, a big robe girl. Mm -hmm. Like I have several, although the one that I wear the most is this Same. like kind of ratty old one that my grandma got me. But would love an elevated robe experience. And I feel like this process is so needed. When we think about a lot of the common barriers that Black entrepreneurs and Black women in particular face when they're launching something like a physical product to begin with is usually capital. Like launching a physical product takes a lot of capital. That's really hard. You do not come from having like generational wealth and a silver spoon in your mouth. And I appreciate all of your honesty around that. And so you are truly building something kind of from your own foundation. What has that mm -hmm. process been like for you? So I think it's like the two things that have given me the capital are not necessarily the money, but two things main things, which is stability and delusion. <laughs> so the, my, my stability comes from my full-time job, which I have not quit and don't plan to quit until I hit a certain very high number that I've set for myself. But having that job helps me know that I, my bills are going to be paid. So I'm going to be able to put my interest in a friend. Of, I have multiple friends of mine who also work in tech who have full million dollar businesses outside of work and they still keep their full-time jobs. And I, I used to think that that was like not what was possible at all for anybody. And it's not if you're raising venture capital because, you know, 
you need to put your whole like life into it, but they're not going to give you no venture capital over here. You're black. So I'm just kidding. But you know, like you're not, not you don't need that. The stats are not encouraging. So no, like having my full-time job is one of the main reasons because I know I'm going to have a roof over my head. The other two areas that stability comes for me are my influencer side hustle. So all the money I've gotten from this, I've either invested into my influence, like I haven't made profit. I haven't paid myself. Like I have a cool lifestyle and I get to share that, but it's business. Mm -hmm. Like it's a business expense. It's not just me personally. Like if I had made all this money and kept it for myself, I would have bought my family houses and, you know, but you have to put money into things to help them grow. The other stability is my boyfriend. That man is a rock. (laughs) He is my opposite in many ways. And he's a software engineer and he's incredible with finances. And I absolutely couldn't do this without him. And it's just, I just want to give like him his flowers, but I also just want to say like, it's people around you, especially if you're a hyper independent black woman like myself, he had to beg me to let him help me and like still does. And I think that having that support is really important. The other part is pure delusion. (laughs) And I didn't realize how delusional I was that I felt like I could start a business and have it become this major thing, which it hasn't yet because I haven't even launched yet. But, you know, like I, to believe that you can do that, it's a lot. And when I talk to other founders, seeing how delusional they are about their businesses, when you're like, I don't know if this is going to be huge, but they believe it will be. That's how you know, like you are an entrepreneur is when you have that crazy belief in yourself. And I think that just comes from trusting and realizing that where you are is always where you're meant to be. And my grandma definitely instilled that into me. And I'm glad that she did and that I've grown up to keep it with me. Oh, absolutely. I think you can only be but so realistic if you want to create something new. Yeah. Or if you, even if you want to be happy, that you too. can't think that about, too. you can't think about how horrible the world is 24 seven. If you want to bring more good into it, you have to just think about the good and try to create more of that. Yeah. It's delusional. Maybe it's out of touch, but it is going to save your life and your business and bring happiness to other people. Oh, 100%. Something that I want to touch on that I think is really interesting here that you're, you're kind of doing, it's something that has also been the model that I've followed in my head, though I don't yet have a a product I would love to one day whenever I get, you know, the inspiration or the idea that I want to delusionally follow (laughs) is seeing content creation almost as like the fundraising portion. Like that's how I treat it. I also still work full time and then, you know, have been grateful enough to surpass my salary from creating content, but I don't pay myself that. Like that is an investment in Mm -hmm. the business and creating something in the future. And so seeing that as a blueprint of like, okay, maybe instead of spending one to two years trying to get VCs to give you money, what if you spend one to two years really honing in on a community, figuring out a sweet spot to monetize content, and then using that to launch something even greater. And then you already have the built-in audience and community who trusts you, who like you, who's going to be ready to buy from you and support you. I think that that's an approach that I would love to see more Black entrepreneurs take. 100%. I think because we've talked about it, the numbers for Black VC are very low. But more importantly, everyone I've talked to about raising, um, because I've had a lot, I have a great community of fellow entrepreneurial women, and everyone I've talked to about raising talks about how when you 
raise money, you give up equity in your company, Mm -hmm. which means that you're beholden to other people's opinions. And most of those people who are giving you that money are don't look like you and don't have the same experiences as you. So you're getting unsolicited or no, you solicited it, but you're getting solicited (laughs) advice from people who don't understand you. And that to me, my biggest inspiration when starting a company are people like Sarah Blakely, who bootstrapped the whole thing and became a billionaire easily because she owned everything. And that to me is much more groundbreaking, especially for Black people, because you may grow a billion dollar business and you own 3% of it at the end of the day. What does that do for Black people other than give them representation that they're Black founders? Like it doesn't create generational wealth. It doesn't redistribute wealth in any way because, you know, you're you literally are just making white men richer. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying I'll never raise because in a perfect world, I would be able to make this my full-time job. But I am saying that it's way more efficient to build a community and to grow it and then transition that into a product. And you can do that even if you don't like content creation. And I think that's extremely important because another person I follow and love her. Her business model is Grace Beverly. I watched her YouTube videos and I just liked her because she was another woman going to an elite school at the same time as me. She went to Oxford and she would do college vlogs. And I just liked being able to relate to someone because most of the college YouTubers went to state schools, which no hate to state schools at all. It's just a different experience than a private institution. And I wanted to see someone else who was like really ambitious on the internet. And she was that. And she said in a recent interview, she's like, I don't make great content, but I have a community and like she's monetized that. And I don't personally make great content. I mean, like, I feel like <laughs> we just keep showing like up. <laughs> this, but exactly. You keep showing up and you being you is enough. You do not need to make a cinematic like if you want to cool, but you don't need to be a movie director to build a community online. It does not matter what you want to sell, but if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to build a community and it's much smarter to start doing that while you have a full-time job and then turn it into a business than it is to like go to these VCs where you're not even going to own what you create by the end of the day and you're still going to have to build a community. Yep. Yep. You're just doing it in a different order. And I think sometimes when we get really hung up on like what money people won't give us, we're stopping at the first obstacle instead of saying, okay, maybe is there a different path to get here? Can I change directions? Can I take a different way? Okay. If a car is not working, let me take a plane. If a plane's not working, let me take a train. Mm -hmm. Like, let me figure out another way to make this happen. Yeah. And like with money, I, I have in this current moment, like drained everything and have a personal loan writing on this. And like, that's, scary, but at the same time, like there's ways around it. Like I'm doing a pre-order model, which means before I place that huge inventory order, that's really hard to make. I have the the money from the people who are buying the product to actually place that order. Mm-hmm. And that way, if I can still get them what they want, yes, they have to wait, but I can still get them what they want without me having to suffer or give up part of my company or give up part of my like future wealth or whatever, you know, it just means that you have to be really customer centric and transparent with your community. And I think being honest is the best thing you can do. Like I was always so ashamed growing up that I like came from a low income background or that I like 
didn't have what other people had. But that's kind of my superpower now that I'm older is that like I did come from that. And that's why people can trust me more, I think. Oh, yeah. I think people people want to see us win when we bring them along the journey. And so that's what I really love about this approach you're taking and launching the Rogue Line is like taking us behind the scenes to see each part of the process. Thank you. It's fun. It's scary. <laughs> Hell, but it's fun. It's scary, but such a cool thing to do. So what's next for you? How can we support you? How can we get our robes and put our, our pre-orders in? Yes. So what's really cool about this robe is that it has a really functional design. So the belt doesn't come off. There are buttons to where you can adjust the sleeves because you don't want to be getting your sleeves in when you're cooking and stuff like that. Um, and it's a really functional material that, you know, withstands its softness after it's been washed. So that robe, the Too Cozy robe, is available for pre-order as of now. And I believe I'll keep it open for pre-orders. People just have to know when it's going to drop. And um, if it's not available at the time this episode comes up, it will be at some point. So just subscribe to that email newsletter. Wink. Always <laughs> build the newsletter. Yes. Um, but the other thing is this robe design comes in multiple fabrics. So in January, we'll launch the classic terry cloth version. And then later down the line, we'll launch it in different fabrics and lengths and colors. So you'll have opportunity there. And so just Keep following at Two Collective on Instagram. Follow me at Alexis Barber, and that's where you can support there. Is be and I'll be letting you in on the process because there's just we're at the very beginning. There is so much more that is coming after this, and how I even decide what to launch and what inventory orders I need to place. You guys are coming with me because I have no fucking honestly. (laughs) how it's going to be. We'll be, yeah. we'll be cheering you on each step of the way. And I'll make sure that we have all of your links in the show notes so that people can order, so that people can follow, sign up for updates. So I'll make it super easy there. Um, Alexis, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like this conversation was so jam-packed. I feel inspired. I hope oh, the listeners yeah. feel inspired. And thank you for sharing with us. Of course. I love it. This is so fun. And I love your show. It does amazing things. So thank you for having me on. Thank you. Huge thanks to Alexis for joining me on the show today. I love getting to talk to other content creators and hear their experiences because it can be really isolating and it's still such a new field. And I really appreciated our conversation and her sharing her expertise and experiences with us. Head to the show notes so you can give Alexis a follow, check out her podcast, Too Smart for This, and order your Too Cozy robe, which is perfect for winter. I am so excited to get mine. Want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors for today's episode who are hooking you up with amazing discount codes and offers to help you find your balance. Make sure you head to the show notes and check them out. Next week, we're talking about what it looks like to bootstrap a startup as a millennial black woman. I'll be joined by my friend, Anicia Anya, founder of Kids Table. It is such an inspiring episode for anyone who has ever wanted to go an unconventional route and create something totally new. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it. See you next week.